Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Let's jump in. So, Rabbi Elazar Benazaria teaches this is Chapter 3, Mishnah 21 of Pirkei Avot. Uh, Rabbi Elazar Benazaria Omer, Ein Im Ein Torah, Ein Derech Eretz. Im Ein Derech Eretz, Ein Torah. Im Ein Chokma, Ein Yira. Im Ein Yira, Ein Chokma. Im Ein Bina, Ein Das. Im Ein Das, Ein Bina. Im Ein Kemach, Ein Torah. Im Ein Torah, Ein Kemach. So I, I wanted to read all of that uh, in Hebrew without interruption first so you could hear the poetry of it. And, and many of the teachings of, of Pirkei Avot are, are, uh, are poetic like that, um, have that sort of um, uh, stylized structure. Uh, and indeed, this one does too. It has a rhythm and it has a rhyme. Uh, and it means this, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah Omer, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah taught, Im ein Torah ein derech erech. In the absence of Torah, there can be no decency. Yet in the absence of decency, neither can there be any Torah. So uh, a couple of comments on that. Um, uh, first, we, we, that formula is what repeats throughout the, uh, the, the entire passage, right? So if there is no X, there is no Y. But if there's no Y, there's also no X. Okay, and so that that is actually kind of a head scratcher when when you think of it, right? If you say you know that, that um, you know there's there's no pizza if there's no cheese, but there's no cheese if there's no pizza, right? That's the that's the formula that we have in uh, in in this teaching. And that's kind of a head scratcher in a way because obviously uh, most of us, except for if you're you know vegan, um, would say uh, that if there's uh, if of course um, if there's no cheese, there's no pizza. Right? But we might not say, uh, if there's no pizza, there's no cheese. That's untrue on its surface, because uh, on its face, because, of course, there's cheese in the absence of pizza. Cheese is a thing that exists, whether or not there's pizza to put it on. But Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria is saying something really, therefore, profound about uh, these, uh, uh, these values um, or, or these, um, uh, 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 these qualities um, in uh, in in this teaching, and and these are and these are really qualities in a way, or these are val- virtues in a way. Torah here um, is not necessarily the the book Torah. Um, it is the uh, it, it is the the quality um, of a of a of, of a, a person uh, immersed in Torah and seeped in Torah. So it's not only uh, the book, but it is what happens to a person when they are studying that book, when they are immersed in the book, when 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 they love that book. Um, without Torah, there can be no decency, derech eretz, which means, um, which literally means the, the way of the land, uh, but, but it really means manners. In modern Hebrew, the, the term derech eretz uh, is the, in, in, an idiom meaning manners, the way we get along with each other in, in society. Now, that's actually really worth highlighting uh, uh, right now because um, I think that many of us, uh, you know, uh, realize that uh, that so much of our derech eretz, so, so much of the, the manners, the, the normal way of our interaction um, has been upended in this moment of the, uh, of the pandemic. 
and, uh, and, and, it, and therefore, like, because it's been upended, it, and in a way, highlights it, right? So um, how, we, how we relate to each other um, or don't, right? How we value each other or don't, um, whose work matters, uh, and, uh, and, and, and what segments of our society do we venerate and do we value? What do we uh, ignore or, or denigrate? That comes to the fore in a lot of ways in, in a moment in which those, uh, in which society is sort of upended and, and there's a kind of a funhouse mirror or spotlight shown on it. Um, but that's what Derek Eretz is, like the way things, uh, the, the way we engage with each other, the way we relate to each other. So think about this. If there's no Torah, if there's, if there's no uh, learning uh, what the Torah teaches, there's no manners, there's no decency, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no norms in how we uh, relate to each other. So that seems true on its surface, right? We, we turn to the Torah uh, for, for guidance on, um, on how to live, not just how to you know, observe Shabbos or, uh, or keep kosher, right? Um, not just about our own kind of like inner spiritual uh, life to how we relate to God, um, but we turn to Torah for guidance on how we relate to each other. Um, you know, it's it's one of the it's one of the reasons that you know when 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 uh, when, when people say you know um, you know rabbis should not talk politics. Um, the the truth is that the Torah is steeped in politics because the Torah is all about how we relate to each other, how we build a society, how we engage with each other. That is fundamentally political because politics is how we organize and construct and live within our society. So if without Torah, there can be no Derek Eretz. Without Torah, there can be no... <laughs> Hi, buddy. Hi. Um, save you. Um, <laughs> um, so without Torah, there can, be no, uh, there can be no manners, right? Without, without studying the Torah, without, without really kind of engaging with the Torah um, in a way to learn how we relate to each other, um, there, there can be really no uh, functional uh, uh, menschlich Menschlich society. But here's the other piece of the equation for Rabbi Elazar ben Zariah. The in ein derch eretz ein Torah. If we, if we don't have decency, if we don't have manners, then there actually can't be Torah either. Right? There's a dialectic here in Rabbi Elazar ben Zariah's teaching, which I think is actually profoundly true. That it's not only that Torah teaches us how to live and how to see the world, how to relate to each other, but who we are how we engage in this world, how we see the world manifests in how we read Torah. So if you are, if you have the propensity uh, to, uh, to, to, to value the, the, the infinite worth of, of human beings, if you're a person of, of compassion, if you're a person of integrity, uh, if you're a person uh, that, that venerates kindness, when you go and look at the Torah, the, uh, the, those values will bubble up from the page for you. But if you're a person that venerates power, uh, domination, chauvinism, then when you look at the Torah, you will see that too, and that will bubble up from the page for you, and that's what you will get out of it. And so it's very true, right? It's, it's, another, it's one of the reasons why um, it, it's, it's, it's so challenging to uh, draw political conclusions from the Torah, because it's certainly possible to look at the Torah um, and uh, and and proof text 
uh, you know, a, a, a liberal um, position and to proof text a conservative position. And so the question is, what is the lens through which you are, you are reading the Torah? That doesn't mean that necessarily the Torah says everything and anything, but, the, the, uh, but who we are, we bring to our study of the text. So if there is no Torah, there is no decency. Right? We get our values from the Torah, but also we bring our values to the Torah. So if we don't have decency, we can't actually read the Torah and understand the Torah and live the Torah in its proper way. In en chokma en yira. In en yira en chokma. If there is no, in the absence of wisdom, there can be no reverence. Yet in the absence of reverence, there can be no real wisdom. So that again is sort of a head scratcher, right? Think about you know cheese and pizza. You might think that uh, um, that a wise person, someone who has uh, knowledge born from experience, born from their interaction with the world, um, would inevitably have uh, yira, would inevitably have reverence. Um, I think that that's true. I think that uh, those who we consider to be wise um, are also those who um, have a lot of uh, uh, respect for their uh, for those who come before them, um, have a sense of uh, of, of humility uh, in the in the presence of, of of the great mystery of being, a recognition um, of the smallness in a way of their place in things. Um, I think that those are all. Uh, qualities that define a, a wise person. So if there's no wisdom, there can be no reverence. But also it says, if there is no reverence, there can be no wisdom. So I think about this uh, very much in, in the, ling- in the um, formulation of Albert Einstein, who said, uh, who said there are two ways of encountering the universe, as if nothing is a miracle, or as if everything is a miracle. So our perspective uh, defines our reality and uh, will also result in whether or not we, uh, in how we encounter our experiences, how we confront our experiences and what we learn from our experiences, right? So the lens, so a lot of this, again, so the same as in, in uh, Derek Eretz in Torah, the lens through which we view our reality will determine what we take from our reality and therefore the wisdom that we get from the experiences that we have. I find that to be so true. And I think it's, it's, it's especially powerful wisdom for this moment um, because we are in the midst of a, a crisis, a trauma, a communal collective trauma, uh, not only because of the fact that many people have gotten sick and, and died, um, uh, but also because uh, you know, this has upended uh, so many of our lives in 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 in, um, in in a lot of cases really irreparable ways and and the question is not necessarily you know is there pain here but what is the how do we relate to that pain how do we view it what's the prism through which we view this experience that we're going through and that in so many ways will determine how it uh, impacts us in the here and now and what we take from it going forward, whether we gain wisdom from it going forward. So if we encounter it exclusively as pain, exclusively as suffering, 
um, as injustice, which it certainly is, right? Then, uh, um, then, then I fear um, what we, uh, uh, what it does for us in the here and now, and what we take from it later. But if we uh, shift our perspective and how we encounter this moment through curiosity and learning and community and love and kindness and compassion, if that's the lens through which we view this moment, then I think that that will dictate the wisdom that we, that, that it'll determine the wisdom that we take. From. So it's not only true that wisdom produces reverence. That is definitely true. But it's also true that reverence produces wisdom. The lens through it, the prism through which we view things will dictate, will determine what we take out of it. Elazar Benazaria goes on to say, in ein bina, in da'at, im ein da'at, ein bina. Uh, so uh, it's um, worth noting here, uh, well, let me just translate it and then I'll say this. In the absence of knowledge, there can be no insight, yet in the absence of insight, there cannot be knowledge. So I think it's, it's worth noting here that uh, bina and da'at are sometimes used um, as uh, synonyms for each other. And indeed, in the, um, uh, in the Hebrew acronym Chabad, um, you actually have the trifecta of three things that are in some ways synonymous, Chochmah, Bina, and Da'at. So Chochmah is, we just saw that, wisdom. Bina uh, is, uh, uh, is, is uh, understanding. Uh, and uh, Da'at is knowledge. Okay, so wisdom, understanding, or, or insight, uh, and knowledge. That's that's the uh, that's the trifecta in, in Chabad. And the uh, just as parenthetically, the uh, that acronym um, is meant to imply that that what's unique about Chabad is that they have a more um, intellectual approach to Hasidism, which it, in its inception, Hasidism is much more um, spiritual and emotional. And so um, the the um, innovation of the Alter Rebbe, the first rabbi of Chabad, um, was to uh, bridge the worlds of uh, Hasidism with uh, the worlds of kind of traditional um, uh, yeshiva learning. Um, and so to have a more sort of uh, uh, rational, um, uh, incisive approach uh, to the emotional and spiritual dimension of, of Hasidism. Um, so, but Bina is understanding, right? Not just, not just knowledge, uh, but contextualization of knowledge uh, and um, uh, and uh, and depth of knowledge, right? So it's not just that you have the facts memorized, but you know what those facts mean. You get what those facts mean. You you get why they're important, why they're significant. Um, you see how they fit into a bigger picture, right? So if there's no understanding, there's no knowledge, right? So it, it turns out that facts in and of themselves um, are uh, are are not really all that helpful or all that useful, right? They're uh, um, there's a, a famous teaching that there are uh, um, there are three kinds of lies. There are lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? And the and the reason for that is that I can give you a, a set of raw data, right? That's that's knowledge. That's facts, right? But what those facts mean is always open to interpretation, um, and so there there can't be any real knowledge without understanding, without the ability to process what those facts are and and, and say the narrative about those facts 
to fit them into their context, those facts don't really mean anything. So there can't really be knowledge unless there's understanding, but there also can't be understanding unless there's knowledge, right? Just to tell a story um, without any grounding in what the data is, right? What the, what the actual facts of the matter are, right? Um, uh, fact, someone said, once said facts are stubborn things, right? Um, you can't make up the facts um, because then to, to weave the narrative based on imagined data um, is, uh, is, is, um, is, is neither helpful uh, nor, uh, uh, nor does it speak to any kind of understanding. Um, we see that ever present in our world at the moment um, where, um, where there is um, uh, a, 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 an, an overwhelming amount of disinformation uh, out there, and in particular uh, about uh, uh, this virus and, and this disease and this pandemic. Um, and you can see how uh, weaving a narrative based on non-facts inhibits understanding, right? So there can't be understanding without knowledge, but there also can't be knowledge without understanding. That's what Rabbi Elazar ben Azari is saying. And then he goes on to say, in, in Kemach, in Torah. He brings it back to Torah. If there is no, Kemach means flower, but really here I think it means uh, sustenance. So it can either mean bodily sustenance or material sustenance, right? An income. Im in Kemach, in Torah. Im in Torah, in Kemach. Without sustenance, there can be no Torah. And without Torah, there can be no sustenance. Now, the first thing um, is, seems pretty obvious, actually, right? That um, uh, it's, it's impossible to engage in a, a life of, of, of Torah study um, without any kind of means of, of supporting oneself. Um, uh, so, right, uh, um, uh, that, that seems true on its face, um, although there are plenty of people, uh, both in America and, and, uh, and, and elsewhere, um, that certainly give it the old college try um, of, uh, of, of having a life of Torah without uh, any meaningful source of income um, aside from, you know, state support uh, or, or charitable support. Uh, so what uh, Rabbi Elazar ben Azari is saying is, um, is, is I think, uh, a challenge to that, right? That, um, that, that really, you know, you have to um, engage somehow in the world and have um, some sort of ability to sustain yourself um, if you're going to uh, if you're going to meaningfully engage with Torah, I think that that's true uh, on a pragmatic level, um, uh, and it's also true on a uh, on an intellectual level, right? Without without kind of an awareness about the world, and this goes back to some of the other things that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says in this Mishnah. Without an awareness of the world, without an engagement with the world, how can you really understand the Torah? Uh, so there's this. Uh, uh, some of some of you have been doing Daf Yomi, um, and uh, uh, back in in the Sechet Brachot, back in in the first tractate of the Talmud, tractate Brachot, um, there's a, a story of a of a rabbi who um, uh, who hides under his rabbi's bed, uh, and uh, and he and so the uh, the, the teacher uh, and uh, his wife are engaging in uh, marital intimacy in the bed and they hear something rustling underneath the bed and he pulls up the sheets from under the bed and says, uh, what are you doing here? And the student says, um, Gamzo Torah v'lil modo anitarich. 
this is also Torah and I need to learn it, right? In other words, you can't really understand what the Torah is, is trying to uh, impart unless you have an awareness of how the world works. Because the Torah is grounded in reality. The Torah isn't ephemeral, ethereal, right? Lo uh, says the Torah, and it's not in the heavens. Um, it's close, right? It's about how we live in this world. So you can't really understand what the Torah is teaching without some understanding of how to, how to live in this world. So just as a, as a perfect example, right? The Torah says, uvacharta uh, b'chayim, right? You shall uh, uh, choose life. Right, and so that that means that there is a significant ethic within Jewish tradition of um, of uh, uh, of preserving life um, at all costs. Right, but how do you do that in the context of um, of, uh, of of disease and modern medicine, life saving medicine, life saving technologies, etc. Right, what, what what counts as saving life, uh, and what counts as shortening life? Um, it's a complicated question, but in order to properly understand that question, you have to know how the how you have to know something about medicine. You have to know something about physiology. You have to know something about how the body works. You have to know, know something about how the technology works. Um, so, uh, so there, so there can't be Torah without Kema. There can't be. Uh, we can't really understand what Torah is trying to teach without some sort of meaningful understanding about how the world works. It it it, it um, informs our understanding of Torah. But then Elazar Benazari says something really fascinating. He says, "Ain Torah, ain Kemach." Right? You can't actually engage in the world. You can't actually derive anything meaningful from the world, anything nourishing from the world, without an understanding of what the Torah teaches. Now, that might seem uh, strange on its surface because you might say, "You know, I'm perfectly able to eat a loaf of bread, make a loaf of bread without uh, the Torah's guidance. The Torah doesn't, you know, give me a recipe for making bread." Um, Torah doesn't give me a recipe for making an income. If anything, um, it tells me a lot about how I can spend my income. Um, it tells me a lot about how, what I'm supposed to do with the money that I have. It tells me a lot about what I'm supposed to do with the food that I have. Um, but it doesn't uh, tell me how to like procure that food um, in, in any meaningful way. And so I think what the Torah, what uh, Rabbi Elazar ben Zaria here is saying uh, is uh, something akin to what the book of Deuteronomy says when it says uh, that man does not live by bread alone. Chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone. In other words, um, you can nourish yourself uh, physically without Torah, but your life will wither without, uh, with, without an engagement of the spirit, without community, without values, without, uh, without, uh, without the pursuit of justice, without, um, without the, the, the qualities of kindness and compassion that the Torah inculcates, um, and the, uh, the 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 sense of yearning and sense of hope and longing for redemption uh, that that the Torah offers. Right, these are also things that we need to live. Um, and I'm reminded uh, of uh, this powerful story uh, of uh, uh, Rabbi uh, Hugo Grin, uh, who was a a, a a prominent rabbi in uh, in in England. Um, after uh, in the post World War II period, he was a survivor of the Holocaust, and he would told the story about his uh, his father uh, in the ghetto during Hanukkah time. Uh, and uh, his father uh, took uh, he knew it was time to light the candles for Hanukkah. He took his margarine ration for that day, which was a minuscule amount of margarine, um, and melted it down uh, to use for oil for lighting the Hanukkah candle. And young Hugo was. 
uh, indignant at his father for, for wasting their food rations uh, on, on such, a, on such a, an unnecessary thing. And his father said to him, here in the ghetto, we learn a few things. A person can survive for a week without food. A person can survive for three days without water. But a person cannot survive for a single moment without hope. And that is, I think, what Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria is talking about here. That yes, there are things that we need to physically nourish and sustain ourselves. But we can't really live just on that physical nourishment and sustenance alone. It is why this particular moment is so hard and why we're desperate for these imperfect technologies uh, in which we can somehow sometimes see and hear each other. Um, because I have, thank God, enough food in my pantry. And thank God I have a roof over my head. But it's not enough. We wither without community. We wither without connection. We wither without opportunities for learning and for wisdom and for spirituality, for guidance, for meaning. We wither without kindness. We wither without hope. And I think that that is a, a good moment to conclude, a good thought to conclude this learning upon. Because in this moment, um, in which there is so much pain and so much challenge, when people are dying, when people are getting sick, when families have to see their loved ones suffer without being able to visit them in the hospital and then without being able to attend their funerals. In this moment when businesses are shut down and people lose their jobs, and in which those who do have their jobs are struggling to figure out how to get by, how to juggle everything, or how to do their jobs without getting sick themselves. It is easy to fall into despair. And so I think what Reviela Zarbin Azaria is reminding us is that without Torah and all it represents, without faith, without kindness, without compassion, without learning, without hope, we can never make it through this moment. And I think it's why we in the Seder open the door for Eliyahu Anavi, for Elijah the prophet. We open our doors. It's a, an expression of optimism in a way, of defiance of fear and a rejection of despair. Think about our ancestors who opened their doors to a very hostile world, not knowing what could or might walk through those doors to mean them harm. We do the same thing. We open our doors to an outside world um, that is, in some sense, menacing at the moment. And in the depth of night, when we can't see, 
and we don't know what invisible enemy might be crossing the threshold. But we open that door as a reminder that we believe that the dawn is coming. We believe that redemption is at hand. And so I'll conclude learning some of Pirkei Avot's, learning Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria by quoting his spiritual successor, Princess Leia, from Star Wars, who said that hope is like the sun. If you don't believe in it when it's darkest out, you'll never make it through the night. And so what Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria is offering us, what the Pesach Seder tonight offers us when we open the door for Elijah, what our tradition offers us is that even in our darkest moments, even in moments when we engage in a world that is challenging, we can, it is even more important in those moments to hold fast to Torah, to hold fast to faith, to hold fast to our love and to our community, and to hold fast to hope. And with that, we can endure. This has been Socially Distant, Spiritually Close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian, using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.